0: It's daily thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit Ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. One of my favorite passages in the Psalms is Psalm 16, verse 11. It says this You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What an incredible reminder that it is only in the presence of our God where we can find the fullness of joy. And it is at his right hand that there are pleasures forevermore. Well, in today's Daily Thunder, Phil Hartman is going to be finishing his series on Psalm 16. He's going to be looking at the last part of verse 9 all the way down through verse 11, which contains one of my all-time favorite passages. But before we get into that, I just want to remind you, this is the last chance that if you're a man, you can participate and sign up for our Man Talk conference. It starts November 13th through the 15th. And if you can't make it to Windsor, Colorado, do know that you can sign up and watch the simulcast from any location in the world, as long as you have an internet connection and it will be available for viewing all the way through May. But hurry and sign up because the deadline is approaching quickly. Again, this is a donation-only basis, so whatever you can pay, that is great. For more information about the Man Talk Conference and how you can register, please visit Ellersley.com forward slash daily. Now, here is Philip Hartman as he concludes his series on Psalm 16. Uh, well, Eric is
1: out of town, so for those of you listening to a podcast, that's why we're taking a little bit of a, a break from the uh, World War II series. And we're, we're going to be finishing up this morning a little mini-series. I call it mini-series because once Eric has done a series on 90 sermons, it's hard to call a four-part series a, a series, right? Uh, but this little mini-series on Psalm 16. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. We're going to be finishing up uh, this little series on Psalm 16. This is one of my favorite psalms. And, and on Friday, we were talking through uh, a few verses earlier, and one of the things I said is I, this psalm is interesting because it was the very first sermon that the church ever gave. This was one of the key scriptures that was quoted in it, and I'm going to actually quote that whole sermon, or most of that sermon, I should say, not all of it, this morning from the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2. Uh, but this psalm is also interesting because in the, the Jewish tradition, this song. Is a, is a song that would be sung when somebody was nearing death. So, so imagine, you know, you, you, in our modern context, you got a hospital bed and somebody's about to die. Well, you, whether it's in the waiting room or they're in the room, they'd be singing this song. This is something that they would be going over. And, of course, it makes sense because it talks about death in this very psalm. But it's really amazing to think about. Here's Jesus dying upon the cross. You have his dying Messiah, and very likely... He would have been thinking about this, obviously he was thinking about Psalm 22 as well, and I'm sure a number of other things, but very likely he would have been pondering this psalm, but this is also a psalm that would naturally come to the mind of any Jewish person when they're beholding somebody dying. So so this psalm would be something that would be a natural part of their meditation as they're watching the Lord Jesus there upon the cross. In fact, as he dies, they would be likely seeing this. Now obviously it's a little different because they're crying out, crucify him, right? And the disciples have fled, but but as they're burying him, for example, and anointing his body, this would have been their meditation. And, and throughout Jewish history, if, if you have different, you have different psalms that were meditated upon in different times. For example, psalms of the sense. There's a number of those are are likely the psalms that they would they would sing as they were going up for the feasts in Jerusalem. And many of these different psalms that would be sung at Passover time and, and so on. So here's a psalm that is a psalm that they would sing. When when somebody was dying or was near death or had died. And 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 what an amazing thing that God had built into this culture this specific psalm for that time. And 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 that even the promise of a resurrection was baked into what they would have been naturally meditating upon as they're watching the Lord Jesus dying. And so I want to read the psalm. Again, it's a miktam of David, miktam meaning this this precious. Secret is the idea, this golden psalm. And it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows should be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you have a portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so here during death, they would likely be meditating upon this. Now, of course, the disciples didn't believe that Jesus Christ was going to be raised again from the dead, right? They, he, he told them over and over, he, he declared to them so plainly, on the third day he's going to rise again, none of them believed. None of them were expecting it. Wouldn't you think they'd all be there ready, like we're going to celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And yet, not one of them was expecting it. In fact, when he did it, some of them still didn't believe, and, and, and still weren't ready to have faith in what he had so plainly told them. But he raised it again from the dead, of course, that ascends to heaven. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And I want to start in Acts chapter 2. We'll, we'll read verse 14 just for context. And then we'll, we'll skip down to the sermon in the latter part, which is verse 22. But it says, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. And he, and he starts talking, okay? And we're going to skip down to the bottom of his portion. But they've just been filled with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost has come. They're speaking, and of course the men are are like, whoa, how does this work? We're all here in, in, in our own language. And he says this, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered up by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, having loosed the pains of, sorry, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and have put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, He would raise up Christ, the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spake concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, by which you now see and fear. For David... Sorry, see and hear, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so he quotes this whole latter portion of Psalm 16, and he says that, that David was prophetically speaking, knowing that that. Of his own body, the fruit of his body, the Messiah would come. He was prophetically speaking, seeing that that, that Christ, the Holy One, would not see corruption and, and, and so on. He was prophetically speaking this of the Christ. And he says, surely, let me speak plainly to you of the patriarch David. He's dead, he's buried, and his tomb is still here. Meaning this is not about David, but this was a prophetic statement about the Christ that was to come and it says in 1 Peter 1:3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And isn't this interesting? Here you, have Peter. And, and, and imagine Peter after the, the crucifixion. He, you could say his hope, right? I mean, he put everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. all of his hope was there. He he left. His, his nets, as it were. He left everything to follow Jesus. That was his whole hope. And then here he is, Jesus is dead on the cross, his hope is dead. His hope is a dead hope at that point. Can you imagine those three days, walking around, and of course he has all the guilt and, and stuff to deal with for denying the Lord, and he's got a dead hope. But he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, w- what has he done? He, he's, he's brought us to a living hope. That our hope is not dead, it's a living, it's a vibrant, it's a full hope. Why? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here he is, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's been given to them, and what's his first sermon? Well, it's on the living hope, as it were. It's on the, 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 the living hope of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, having been resurrected from the dead, as a proof that he is both Lord and Christ. That That, that, that is the, the assurance of our salvation, is found in that resurrection. That he did the work, he accomplished it, and, and you recognize that if he had not been a perfect man, he would have had to have died for his own sins, right? So he would have stayed dead in the tomb there. And, and if he had not been a sufficient sacrifice, he would have stayed dead. Yet he was a sufficient sacrifice for t- sins, and as a result, boom, on the third day, death could not hold him down in, in, in the right hand of God raises him up from the dead and of course after some time being seen by many witnesses he then is raised up to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so it says, let me just read this again because these are the verses we're going to cover. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol or, or in, in accesses Hades or hell nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now it's interesting that, that we have this sort of transition point And we stopped in, in the first part of 9, uh, which is where it says, uh, let's see, let me go back here. We stopped in the, the first portion, which is where it says, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. So we have sort of these three different responses. My heart is glad. My glory rejoices, and then my my flesh will rest in hope. It is a conclusion to what was earlier. And, and, And why does he say his flesh will rest in hope? Why does he say his heart will be glad, his glory is going to rejoice? Well, because of these two things. Because he set the Lord always before him. Because he's always before his face. And because he is at my right hand, he says, I will not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, my flesh will rest in hope. Now, this is the point at which... It's, it's like David then transitions into this, this prophetic statement, right? Because we, we can all say, if we're in Christ, my flesh will rest in hope. That we die not in, in vain or, or, or not without hope, but when we die, we can rest in hope because our confidence is in him. But then it begins to go to that which is strictly about Christ, which is even interesting because even in the language, for a while he's talking about himself, and then he goes on to talk about the Holy One, right? You will not allow your Holy One. Clearly it's not David, but he's talking about this prophetic statement like Peter says. So I want to go to Psalm 109 again, and we talked about this a little bit on Friday. And I just want to read this again, because this is a parallel passage with Psalm 16, talking about this, this whole scene that we have of, of of the death of Jesus, really, looking forward to the resurrection, but it's sort of from this perspective of the Lord Jesus calling upon the father and his, his confidence in God to raise him up from the dead. And, and, and we have these two sides of Jesus. He's fully God and he's fully man. And, and, and he, as a man, demonstrated what it looks like to depend upon God. He says, I, I do nothing apart from the father. He doesn't speak anything but what the father is speaking. He doesn't do anything but what the father is doing. And so he demonstrated a life, though he's God, he demonstrated a life of full dependence. And, and we see this sort of dependence in Psalm 109 where even in his death, there's a, a dependence in God to raise him up from dead again. That, that his confidence was in what had been promised. My flesh will rest in hope. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Can you imagine Jesus in the midst of this? He knew that was true, right? And, and he had an absolute confidence, which is why throughout his whole ministry, or at least a good portion of his ministry, he was declaring to the disciples, I'm going to raise again from the dead on the third day. And, 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 and he declares this, but he walks through this in dependence upon the Father. So Psalm 109. To the chief musician, the Psalm of David, do not keep silent, O God, of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred, and, I fought against, and they fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand in his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another, let another take his office. And of course, right, that's talking about Judas, which is what Peter has quoted earlier in the book of Acts. So we skip down to verse 20 because it goes on and talks about curses on Judas. Let this be the Lord's reward to my accusers and to those who speak evil against my person But you, O God of the Lord, deal with me for your name's sake, because your mercy is good. Deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. Isn't that interesting? They, They stabbed it, and what comes out? Well, blood and water. And they say, most likely that's because his heart literally imploded within him, which is why you would see blood and water coming out. My heart is wounded within me, I am gone like a shadow when it lengthens. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. You know, when you're crucified, they would have to to, to basically try and stand up to get air. And it was just absolutely uh, horrific. And my flesh is feeble from lack of fatness. I also become a reproach to them. When they look at me, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. O save me according to your mercy. That they may know that this is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. Isn't that an amazing statement? Let them curse, but you bless. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. Let my accusers be clothed with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own disgraces, with a mantle. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yea, I will praise him among the multitude, for he shall stand at the right hand of a poor to save those to save him from those. Who condemn him and so Jesus for the joy that was set before him he set the Lord before him he looked unto that joy he endured the shame and the despising and of course he he, he died and yet he died with his declaration it is finished he died with this his flesh will rest in hope because God would not allow his holy one to see corruption and it says in first Peter one who by him do believe in God That raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. That your faith and your hope might be in God who raised him from the dead. And so we have this resurrection as a proof of not only who he was, but as a proof of the work that he had done being accomplished. I want to read a couple of passages to you. It says in Acts chapter 17, this is Paul and he's there on, on Mars Hill, and, he, and he's talking with them. And he, he talks about how men were, were looking after God or, or groping after God. And he says this, and he says, The times of ignorance God winked at. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which you will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, and that he has raised him from the dead." So he literally tells them up on Mars Hill that, that, that God has given an assurance that Jesus Christ will judge the world in righteousness, and that he is the one whom he has ordained. How? What's the assurance? The resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead is a proof that, that Jesus Christ will judge the world in righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 1, Paul's giving this, this introduction to the book of Romans And it says this, it says he was declared, this is verse chapter four, or sorry, chapter one, verse four. He says he declared him to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. Isn't that interesting? He declared him to be the son of God. How was he declared to be the son of God? Through the resurrection from the dead. But this was this declaration, this confirmation of who Christ was. And of course, the resurrection is a proof ...of our resurrection as well. First Corinthians, Paul is addressing the fact that some are saying... ...that, that we won't be raised again from the dead. And, and Paul talks about it, he says... He, first off, he talks about Christ being raised again from the dead... ...and then he flows out into our resurrection as well. He says, and if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain... ...and your faith also is vain. Right, but if, if Christ has not been raised again from the dead... This is the cornerstone of our faith. It's all in vain if he hasn't been raised again from the dead. He says, but now, is Christ, now is Christ, meaning he's making a statement, not a question, is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order Christ the fruits, and afterward, they and are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end when he shall be delivered up. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall, shall be destroyed is death. Turning me to Acts chapter thirteen, and I want to look at another one of his sermons here, where Paul, in his sermon, quotes. Acts chapter, or sorry, Psalm chapter sixteen. So this is Acts chapter thirteen. We're going to start in verse thirteen. Now, when Paul and his company were loose from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Sidia, and went into a synagogue on a Sabbath day and sat down. And after a reading of the law and the prophets, of the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, said unto them, saying, You men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation from the people, say on. Then Paul stood up, and beckoning with his hand, said, so again, he's talking to the men in the synagogue in Antioch, so these would be Jews. Men of Israel, and you that fear God, give audience. The God of his people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm brought he them out of it, And about the time of forty-seven years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they desired a king. And God gave him Saul, the son of Sis, a man of a tribe of Benjamin, about the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. To whom he also gave testimony, and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming of baptism and repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom ye think that I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me who shoes of whose feet I am not worthy to loose, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you fears God, to you is the word of his salvation sent. For they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired that Pilate, sorry, of Pilate, that they, sorry, they desired, ...yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when he had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from a tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made in the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children. And that he has raised up Jesus again as it is also written in the second psalm. Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And as he said concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he said also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer by an holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again, saw no corruption. Meaning his, his body didn't corrupt away, right? The worms didn't eat it, but he was raised again from the dead. He didn't see corruption. Be it known to you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that are believed believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of by, in the prophets. Behold, you despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work in your days a work which you shall no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Now one thing I'd recommend sometime, uh, we don't have time today, but go look at these psalms that he quotes. It is very interesting to see how the apostles look at the psalms. For example, if you read Psalms chapter 2, I would not think Psalm chapter 2 is about the resurrection from the dead. He talks about, that, that he says, you are my son, I have, today I have begotten you. It, look at that in Psalm chapter 2, and it's like, whoa, I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have thought maybe like the, the incarnation, but the resurrection from the dead? And so it's, it's really interesting to see how they saw the Old Testament. Because the apostles, when they look at the Old Testament, they see Jesus all over. Even in places where we might even say, Paul, you seem to be stretching that a little bit. Of course, he's not stretching a little bit. We just haven't been trained to see Christ. In, in the same way, right? They didn't see it at first, and then what happens? Well, God opens up the understanding of the disciples. And, and of course, later on, Paul is sort of grafted into that. But he opens up their, their their understanding. What? To see him. Through all of the Psalms and the prophets and the scriptures. And he sees them. So it's a really interesting study sometimes to go look at that. But he says here, he says, beware, therefore. Jesus has been raised again from the dead. And it's interesting that, that here he talks about him being raised again from the dead as an assurance of, of what he has done and who he is. And then he, he ends his sermon here, Beware, therefore. God has given us such sound proofs of who he is. And yet he says, Though a man tells it to you, there will be those who will not believe. And so not only is the resurrection something that, that ought to be a, a buoy to our faith and a strong confidence and assurance that, of who Jesus Christ is, but it's also a warning To those who will not believe. It's a warning saying, beware, beware, lest you do not believe. And so he goes on and he says, you will show me the path of life. And and of course, this applies to the Lord Jesus who was raised again from the dead. But then for us, he is the path of life. That he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The the scripture says that eternal life is knowing him. That it says in John, 1 John, it says that, that anyone who has Jesus or knows him has life. And he who does not have a son does not have life. So this life or this path of life is found in him. That he himself is the path of life and outside of him is death. And and his resurrection is an assurance to us of two different, you could say, lives. That we live if we are in Christ. And that we shall live if we are in Christ. You have it both in the scriptures. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 6 says this, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. But like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection. Colossians 3 says, If you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on those things above, none of the things of earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. And so, currently today, the resurrection is it gives us a proof and a confidence that if we are in Christ, we have been raised again from the dead unto newness of life. That we should not walk in, in death, but that we should walk in the newness of life. That through the resurrection of Christ, we have been made new creations. That old things are passed away and all things have become new. And that, 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 that the old man is crucified and sin, the body of sin, is dead, that we might live now unto Christ, submitting so our members. Unto righteousness and holiness in Him. And so as we look upon the resurrection, we we have a confidence that we are alive. But in the present tense, He has spiritually raised us up from the dead and seated us together with Him at the right hand of the Father. But we also know that we shall live. We also have a confidence, not only that are we alive spiritually today, but that we will be raised up from the dead. I've oftentimes joked that I'd love to have on my tombstone something to the effect of like, one day I'm gonna bust up through this thing. Right? That, that we can say, just like the psalmist, my flesh shall rest in hope. But we do not die like the men of this world. We do not die in fear. We die in hope. We die, in fact, with sort of an eagerness. I, I don't mean in a weird sort of way, but but you look at Peter and you look at Paul, and, and Paul's like, oh, I'm sort of torn. Because I, I I want to be here to do the work of Christ, but, but if I could choose, really I, I want to be with, with the Lord. And and so what well, well, what he's basically saying there is my flesh rests in this hope because to be absent from a body is to be present with the Lord. And so as we pass away, right, what what a hope that we get to look forward to. And so not only are we alive spiritually in Him and we walk in the newness of life, but the resurrection is a proof to us that we also will be raised again from the dead. In the church at Corinth, they begin to question this idea that we're going to be raising him from the dead. And Paul comes in, and I read a little bit of it earlier, and, and I'm not going to read all of it, but he talks about, he says, every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterwards, they that are at Christ's coming, and, and then it goes on. That, that we, that our Christ, will be raised up at his coming. This is what he has told us. And you know, it's interesting, it's, we can look back at... at the disciples and say, Jesus told you so clearly about his, his being raised again from the dead. Why didn't you believe it? What are you guys doing moping around for three days? Shouldn't you be just hanging out, getting ready? Like, Lord, he's coming back. He had told him so clearly. And yet, has he not told us so clearly that, that he will return? And yet, how often that can be, we can be dull in our thinking about that. We can be dull and our watching for that. And, and so I want to challenge us: If we believe in a resurrection, that faith ought to be transferred to the return. And, and, and to, you could say, our resurrection. And, and it, it ought to be such a sharpness of soul and a sharpness of thought to, to be looking and watching and hastening unto the coming of the Lord. And exhorting one another daily. So much more as we see that day approaching. And living in light of the reality of this day that is coming very soon. That we can look back and say, oh man, those disciples, they really blew it. And yet, let us take to heart Paul's warning and say, beware. Lest there be any heart of unbelief found amongst you. any evil heart of unbelief, he says. And so our flesh also can rest and hope. And we live and shall live because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, now I, I just, I don't know, it just makes me so glad. I don't know, this, this picture of here the Lord Jesus is and, and his joy being fulfilled at the right hand of the Father. That he's given himself as an atoning sacrifice, and then he's raised up, exalted to the highest position by the Father. Isn't he worthy? Isn't he worthy of, of, of that joy? That this isn't just our joy, right? Oftentimes I think we skip that. But but even the way that Peter quotes it, he, he talks about that, that his joy forevermore at the right hand of the Father. That, that he gets the reward of his suffering. And is he not worthy of that reward? And ought that not to make our hearts joyful and delight, because his delight is our greatest desire, and, and his joy is, is our greatest aim. And, and, and to rejoice with him, he sat down having accomplished at the right hand of the Father, and now he continues to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father. And, and, and there, that, that, that joy and that pleasure forevermore in that work, but we get to share in that. Of course, we enter into that as well, that we also get to enter into his fullness of joy, into the pleasures forevermore, at the right hand of a Father, because we also are seated there in heavenly places together with him and in him. First John, chapter one, he's giving an introduction of a book of First John, and it's sort of in this John fashion. John writes very uniquely. And, and so he gives this introduction, he says, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen of our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Isn't that interesting? He writes this book. Well, what is he writing? That that, that you may have fellowship with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ, and with us as the church. Seated together at the right hand of the Father in this fellowship and your joy may be full. And so in conclusion, let us remember and believe in Christ's resurrection. This is this assurance that we have, this steadfast declaration of what he has done. Let us rejoice in it. May we not be a people that rejoice once a year in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? But let us be a people that rejoice daily in the resurrection, that we have this this buoy of our faith, this assurance of his accomplishing the work. Secondly, let us remember and believe In our own coming resurrection. Or I should say. First off our present resurrection. Which is spiritually done. That we are raised in newness of life. Let us walk in newness of life. Not according to the old patterns. Or the old life. Or the deadness that we were in. But let us walk in the current resurrection. That we have in Christ Jesus. That we have been raised up. And let us also believe. In the coming resurrection. When we. Shall Our bodies shall be quickened, and we shall be made like him. And then lastly, let us set our affections on the things which are above. That at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. It's in his presence where the fullness of joy is. And so as it says in Colossians, let us set our affections here. If you've been raised of Christ, if he himself is your life, doesn't it follow that, that the things above would be where your affections would lie? Doesn't it follow that that's where your joy would flow from? Doesn't it follow that that's where we would seek our, our, our pleasure, our satisfaction, and our delight in Him? But just like the psalm earlier said, that, that our face would be fixed upon Him, that our, our eyes would be set upon Him. And so let us seek that which is above. Let us set our affections on that which is the fullness of joy, which that which is pleasures forevermore, that which is truly our delight. That if we've been raised with Him, Let us find our true joy in his presence where we are seated at the right hand of the Father. So he says, I just want to read the the passage that we were covering today to close. He says, my flesh also will rest in hope. Again, why? Because he, he has set the Lord before him and the Lord is at his right hand. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. He didn't. He has done it. You will show me the path of life. In your presence presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father, just like it says in Psalm 109, that, that we would know that this is your hand and that you have done it. Lord, we look upon that crucified Christ and we see that it is your hand that has done it. And you've shown this to us. You've declared this to us through raising him again from the dead on the third day. Lord, what a reality. I pray that we would rejoice in that and delight in it and, and, and walk in full confidence that we would beware, just like we are warned, lest any evil heart of unbelief should enter in, but that we would set our affections on things which are above, where we have been raised and seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father, and we, we confess that we believe we have been crucified of Christ. We have been raised again to newness of life. And so, Lord, may we walk in that newness of life, having become new creations, new creatures in Christ. And truly, Lord, it is in your presence where we have received your very life, where very, the very life itself is found, but is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore.